So now we come to, um, to His Word. First week we've been in the New Testament. Um, pretty excited. Met with two triads this week. Some cool stuff that was shared. Um, there are a lot of people that are, that are in the Word. A lot of people that are in a triad, which we're excited um, there were a few last week, like Monday, Tuesday, we were getting some more emails of like wanting New Testaments. There's more on the way. We got some this week. Hopefully by Friday, we'll have them all. And I'm personally hand-delivering those things to people, wanting to get them in people's hands. We also have heard from a few people who are like, I'm not in a group and I really want to be in a group and I didn't know who to ask. There's one guy in particular who's talked to me twice this week. Garen, make sure you let people know. So if you are like, I want to be able to do this with some people, to walk through the Word, to have that accountability, to get to know some new people. I know if you're an introvert like me, it's scary to get in with new people, but I always find great value after the fact, and I'm glad that I make those jumps out of my comfort zone. But if you get on the website, on the top, there's this, um, I think, Engaging the Word is what it's called. But if you'll get on that, we've got a form you can fill out just type in your contact information to say, I want to be in a group, and we will work on trying to get you um, together with some people if you need to do that. Uh, we are, so we're starting in Matthew, the first of the Gospels. It is Matthew's, um, his recording of the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. I briefly hit it last week. I want to say it again. I personally gain value if I'm going to read a book of the Bible. I really want to know what the author is about, what's his purpose, kind of what's the structure. It helps me to know where he's going, and so I put together this chart, and there's some you can grab on the way back if you didn't get one. Um, just want to reemphasize, this was written by Matthew, one of the 12 followers of Jesus. His main purpose really was to convince Jewish people who were unconvinced that Jesus was the, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He was their king, their king, and he was their savior. So there's a lot of Old Testament scriptures in here. He's fre frequently quoting the Old Testament and he's really doing a lot to show people that he is the promised prophet of Deuteronomy 18, the prophet that Moses said would come who would be greater than him. And he's really trying to convince them it's not about Moses and the Torah anymore, it's about Jesus. And that's, that's really what his main purpose is. Um, and so his structure even, that he has the main part of the book into five different kind of sections of narrative and teaching is kind of his way of, like it's almost the new first five books of the Bible, the new Torah. And he's not only convincing them that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's convincing them of something the Jews of that day needed, which is they thought they were the only ones that God accepted, and he's trying to say that Jesus is the Savior and King of all peoples of all nations. So you'll see Matthew frequently pointing out, even in the genealogy if you notice, frequently pointing out non-Jewish people who are coming to Jesus and who are showing great faith and accepted by Him. So that is a big thing for Matthew. Not just He is your Messiah, but He's here for more than just you. He's here for all people and all nations. So if you're into that kind of thing, then grab one of those um, on your way out. So I do want to, uh, we're going to start today and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 and I'd like you to... to uh, to stand with me. You can turn if you want. We're in Matthew chapter 4. Um, my reading, personal reading, comes out of the, the new NIV. My, my wife bought me when we were newly married. My, our first birthday is a married couple back in 1987. Um, but I tell you, these Bibles, the print, when you get old, the print shrinks. It gets smaller and smaller. I don't know how that works. Um, but I'd like to read from verses 12 to 25. So hear the word of the Lord. So Matthew records this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, 
to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over, all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And this is the word of the Lord. So you may be, you may be seated. So what we're looking at here is we have here the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, I mean, he's doing miracles, doing his first great works, and among other things, he's calling his first disciples. That was, is what we see in chapter 4. And if we are his people, we are also his disciples. And so that's really what I want to focus on is that. And normally when we go through the New Testament, I'll be doing like a whole text or a paragraph. Today I really want to hone in on one particular verse. And I want to do that asking... Uh, what to me is a very important question, which is this, uh, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Um, and I think that's an important question. Um, and here's why, because as I, you know, I, I did not grow up with faith, right? As I came into church, I kept finding these words that people use that were obviously very important, many times biblical words, but it didn't take me long to figure out that sometimes those words like didn't seem to have much deep meaning or like nobody agreed on what they were and had, had kind of become just words people used and not really understanding them. And one of them was this word disciple. And a lot of people have noted that there really is a crisis in the Western church relating to this word disciple. What is it? Do we really make disciples? Is that really what we're doing or are we making kind of converts? There's a difference. I'll talk about that in a minute. And part of the reason we know this is true is because young people in our churches are dropping out at alarming rates. And not just that, there are adults more and more who will suddenly, okay, church is not the end all and be all of everything, but they'll like quit coming to church and then you find out it's not that they've gone somewhere else, it's that they've dropped off the map and then you hear they're, they're not even believing in God. Several prominent pastors in the last couple of years have done that. There's something, there's something amiss, something going on. And a lot of people tie it back to this idea of disciple and what is it. And a thing that I didn't know at the time, but when I became a believer in the late 70s, something that kind of reared its head in the 70s was prominent through much of the 80s is what's called this easy believism. And I'll reference it a little bit more, but it's that idea of, uh, it's really what I saw. It's part of the reason coming to Jesus was hard for me at first, or to, to Christianity, because I would see people 
all my friends called themselves Christians, but I saw very few people that their life matched what their mouth said. And I'm like, this is just a joke. What, what's the point of this? It's a farce. And I wasn't attracted to it at all. And it, it's um, even in good churches, and it, it's because it became really prominent, I think, um, for this idea that if you just believe a few facts and you say a prayer, you kind of get a ticket to heaven. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with believing facts because that is part of the gospel. I'll get to that in a minute. There's nothing wrong with saying a prayer because Paul says, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. But it just became, a, I believe some facts, I say a prayer, I get a ticket to heaven, and nothing in my life changes. And I saw so much of that. And so that's the question then is really, what is a disciple when Jesus talks about it? We'll encounter it in all the gospels. So I would like you for a minute, if you have a pen, probably nobody wants to write this down, but I'm just curious if you thought, how would you define that word disciple? If you were to write a one-sentence definition, what would your definition of disciple be? And I just want to give you a minute to think about that. As you've thought about that, if we had people actually say, if we could put on a big whiteboard what people thought, I think there'd be a lot of different answers. There'd probably be some similarity, but probably a lot of different answers, probably as many answers as people are here. I want you to imagine a football team like the Titans, going to be playing in a little bit. I'll try to get you out of here as fast as I can, right? Um, imagine a football team where the offensive coordinator calls a play, but every player on the offense has a different definition of that play. And so you get out there, and each receiver's running their own play. It's totally different than what was called. The quarterback's doing something different. Everybody's blocking different. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue? That's why I think having, having a common understanding and definition of words is actually really important. And so that's what I want to do today is I want to ask the question is, in Scripture, was God trying to give us a definition of what a disciple is? And I believe that the answer to that question, actually, it is in Matthew 4.19, and that's the verse I want to focus on, is Matthew 4.19, because I really believe that this is how Jesus would define discipleship. And in Matthew 4.19, he just says this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jim Putman, who's really influenced my thinking on this topic of being a disciple quite a lot, um, says that this invitation, this invitation actually is the definition. This invitation is the definition. That this verse clearly defines what a disciple is. So I just want to dissect this verse today. And the first thing would be is that a disciple is somebody who personally knows Jesus. And that's supposed to say knows and not know. Somebody from first service is like, we've got to fix that on that slide because I couldn't focus on anything but that um, they didn't say it that strongly. But a person is some, a disciple is somebody who personally knows Jesus because he says, come, follow me. Follow me. It was an invitation into relationship. When I see those, those words, come, follow me in the text, immediately I thought of Matthew 11, which we'll be reading in two weeks. One of the most famous passages in scripture, right? Where Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but Jesus' invitation is into a living, breathing, personal relationship with himself. 
That's what the invitation is into. Um, a relationship that is entered into through the forgiveness of my sins, through his, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the grave, that through all of that that I can come to know him. It's an invitation into a relationship. It's an invitation to him, not to a religion. I'm going to kind of at the end, I'm going to come back to this. It's an invitation to him. To be a disciple of Jesus, I think we have to first recognize who he is in his entirety. Um, we have to recognize who he is in his entirety. That he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, and he is Lord. He's all of that. He's both of that. You can't divide Jesus and say, well, he's only a Savior, but he's really not Lord. That's not what he is. He is the Messiah who is the Savior, and he was the Lord, the Creator who became in human flesh. And to follow him means that I recognize that, who he is in his entirety, and that he did die as my Lord and as my Savior for my sin. And it's not just to understand that, but it is to accept that in the entirety of who he is. I receive him as Savior and Lord. Again, because you can't separate those two things out. So a disciple is somebody who personally knows Jesus. They have a relationship. Personally knows Jesus. But a disciple is also one who is following him. So a disciple is a person who personally knows Jesus and is following him. Come, follow me. Follow me. And when I think of three, following, really there's three things I think of. I think of surrender, I think of motion or movement, and I think of pattern. That's what I think of. So let me hit surrender. Um, a disciple has to be somebody that surrenders to him as Savior and as Lord. In John 12, 26, I mean, Jesus speaks some pretty strong language. He said, whoever serves me must follow me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. We'll read this in a few weeks, Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. They must do that. So basically, he leads and I follow, right? I am positioned behind him, and he is positioned in front of me. That's the intent. That's the way it goes. I come under his authority. I come under his direction. He's the leader. He leads. And my answer to him is, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's what it means to follow. I want you to picture a disciple living in the total opposite of this. Just, I want you to see it graphically. I mean, Look at that. Does that look right? Does that even look like what it's supposed to be? To be in relationship to Jesus, to follow him with me out front and I'm in the lead and he's behind and he's taking my orders and I'm, I'm wanting to live my life the way I want to live it with my own plans and my thoughts, my desires and I'm just wanting him to bless everything I do and just follow behind and like throw pixie dust on everything I'm doing. Um, doesn't that look whacked just to see that picture? Um, see, even the, the young ones are in agreement with that. Um, but the truth is, I mean, how many of us do that? Day, not all the time if you really follow him, but there's days, there's weeks where it's like, I'm moving up into the front and he follows me and he gets to, he gets to bless what I do. Can you imagine going, I was in my mind imagining, you go to a martial arts clinic, you go to a dojo and you walk in and you see all the students up front and then the sensei, the master's out there and they're all telling him what to do and he's doing the things they're telling. Can you even imagine that? It makes no sense, right? Um, that's not how it's supposed to be. He leads, we follow. So I not only think of surrender, I also think of movement. 
Um, follow to me example, that word, just the meaning of it, is much more than just simple belief and knowledge, right? It's about movement. It emphasizes action. It emphasizes obedience. You know, it's walking. It's following a path. It's being on a journey. It's belief and action. So when I think of follow, I think of movement, that I'm in movement with him. And then I think of pattern. I also think of pattern. Our word disciple, you're going to encounter it a lot in all four Gospels. Um, translate the Hebrew word taladim, and there's a reward for this in a minute, or the Greek word mathetes. The words don't matter so much, but I really want to take that word taladim. Actually, both words, if we were to, to better translate that word, because disciple can be, just that word can be a little bit, what's that mean? Probably a lot of people suggested apprentice. I've talked about this before, but apprentice is actually the best way to translate those things. As you know, an apprentice is somebody who studies under a master of a trade. If I want to learn a trade, a vocational trade, I study under a master. I, I listen to him, and I watch what he does, and then I repeat what he does, and then he corrects it, and I get better. Andrew Coltrane is, I think, in the midst of a five-year apprenticeship to learn electricity. Can you imagine five years of apprenticeship? It's listening, watching, it's doing, it's learning in action. So in Jesus' day, because he would have spoken Aramaic, which is closely related to Hebrew. In Aramaic, they didn't use the word disciple. What they used was this word taladim. Taladim were people who followed rabbis. There were lots of rabbis in Israel. It would be very common to see a rabbi walking around in your village or between villages, and he would be followed by a group of followers or taladim, disciples, so to speak, who'd be following him, living with him in his presence, going from him place to place. They're listening to him. They're watching what he does. They're asking him questions. But above all, they are imitating him and they're obeying him. That's what a Taladim did. And we're the same, right? We model our life after Jesus. We're his Taladim, so to speak. His lifestyle should be our lifestyle. His pattern should be ours. His way of life should be our way of life. Do you remember, I think it was a year ago. No, it was two years ago. Time flies. I looked at the book of Acts. Do you remember what they called the first followers of Jesus in the book of Acts? They were called followers of his way, followers of Jesus' way. They were known as Taladim, as people who imitated him, who followed him. That's why Dallas Willard has said, discipleship is learning from Jesus how to live like Jesus. Learning from Jesus how to live like him. And at that time, when you would see those rabbis coming into town at night, they'd been to several villages with his Taladim following behind um, him kicking up dust the whole way as they went from village to village. That when they'd get to town frequently, the Taladim would be all dusty and covered with the dust from his feet from walking behind him and following him. So it became an idiom in their culture that they would say of a Taladim that he was covered in the dust of his rabbi because they were always dusty. And I, I love that concept. Um, we are his apprentices. We are following him. So may we be covered in the dust of Jesus. That's what I think of. I think of surrender. I think of movement. I think a pattern of following his way of life. Now, as his disciples, will we, as his taladim, so to speak, will we follow perfectly? No. Someone has said discipleship is stumbling in the right direction. I love that. How many of you feel like, am I the only one that feels like I'm trying to follow him, I'm trying to go in the right direction, but boy, I sure stumble a lot. Anybody else feel that? I, have, I'm, I want some hands today for several things, but anybody else, am I the only one? Just a few, there's just maybe 10% of us feel like we're stumbling in the right direction. 
Okay, none of us is going to do this perfectly. We're all stumbling after him, okay? But the question is, is are you following him? Because a disciple is a person who knows Jesus personally and is following him, is following him. Second thing we learn from Matthew is not only is it a person who personally knows Jesus and is following him, is covered in the dust of his feet, but is a person that's being changed by him, being changed. Those words after he says, come, follow me, he says, and I will make you, I will make you. So after his invitation, he revealed his intentions. He made it clear that he intended to change those who followed them, that if we follow him as a disciple, he will transform us as a person. He will. He will make us into somebody different and new. When we accept him, I recognize that he is Lord and Savior, and I truly receive relationship with him. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of me who lives in my heart, and he begins to transform me from the inside out. He begins to make me. He changes my heart. He changes my character. He starts changing the things that I value, the priorities, the things that I care about. He starts changing my love and my affections. He starts changing my thinking, my beliefs that go on in here, the narratives, the stories that I tell myself about life. And as he changes my heart and my thinking, he begins to change my attitudes. And as he changes all of that, he begins to change my behavior. Specifically, Jesus' intent is to change us to make us more like himself. If I put it in the words of Paul from, Rome, from Galatians 4, Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 3, he wants to form, to conform, and to transform us into the image of his son. Jesus wants to make us more and more like himself. I love that word made. It comes from the Greek word poieo. This has a payoff, I promise you. It means to form, to fashion, to create. Same form of, the, a form of that word is used in Ephesians 10. Translated frequently, we are his workmanship. Poema, same form of the word. We get our English word poem from that. It's a very rich word. It referred to any work of art, something that was done by an artisan, a statue, a painting, a poem, a song, a new building that they built. Any kind of work of art was a poema. It was artfully created. So some translations in Ephesians 10 actually translate it as masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. If I take the idea from Jeremiah, the visual from Jeremiah and Isaiah, they say, he is the potter, the craftsman, I am the what? I'm the clay. The order, the way things work is, is he is forming me to be what he wants me to be. That's, that's what Jesus is doing in my life. He is molding me and making me into a masterpiece of his design. And how do I know if that's happening, if I'm being changed? Well, we'll see in Matthew chapter 22 where he'll tell us of the two great commands. I'll know when I'm being changed into his image, when I'm growing more in my love for God, and I'm growing more in my love for people. More in my love for God, more in my love for people. I just had several thoughts about this thing of being changed. One is like, how? How are we changed? And I could go into a deep discussion. I just want to stay focused on Jesus right now. We're changed when we stay in relationship with him when we stay connected to Him, when we talk to Him daily in prayer, when we, as we're doing this year, where every day I open up the Word of God and I'm asking Him to speak to me and I'm wanting to meet Him through His Word, that's how we stay connected to Him. That's how we're changed. 
That's why Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. So we abide in him. That's how. That's the how. We walk with him. We abide in him. And again, I want to be honest. If following him is stumbling in the right direction, I want to be honest about this transformation too. If, because to be honest, in my life, it's three steps forward, two steps backward. Okay? That's me. I, I, I want to know, who else here, this process of being changed in the image of Jesus for you is three steps forward, two steps back? Is it 10% of us? Is it more? I mean, is that not reality? And that's why we've talked about in here that we don't have an Ikea showcase spirituality at 12th Avenue. We are not to be perfect models of Jesus because none of us can be. That's just putting on a show, right? We are all fixer-uppers. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. Even now, he is knocking walls in my heart that have been there for years. He's, he's got a new room he wants to renovate. He's knocking a new wall out. And you can, hear, you can hear tools going away, and he's doing replastering some things and repainting, and there's sawdust laying everywhere. And the reality is, is I'm a fixer-upper. And that's what we all are, right? And so, yes, I'm being changed and transformed him, but we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to act like we have it all together. We allow God to have the work that he has in each of our lives to change and transform us. And we have grace for each other. Right? We have grace, knowing that we're all just fixer-uppers, that we allow God to have a work, and we quit expecting so much perfection or whatever out of the people around us, okay? Right? I think that's where we all need to be. So we're all fixer-uppers. The other thing is, is I think, if, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I asked the question even back then when I accepted Jesus, like, really me, your, your follower? Really? You know, who, who am I? To be called your disciple? Who am I to be called your Taladim? I feel so ordinary. Anybody else here feel like super duper ordinary? How many of you feel so ordinary? A few of us feel ordinary. I tell you, Darren and I, we're on the same wavelength with all this, aren't we, Darren? So ordinary. And I want you to know that the four men he called in this text, chapter 4, were all fishermen. They were the dregs of society. They were the bottom of the barrel. Nobody cared about them. No rabbi would ever invite them in to be Taladim with them. Some of the 12 were even bad guys, like Matthew, the tax collector, a traitor to his own country. That's why I love Acts 4.13, where it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, this is the religious leaders, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, Boy, I feel that way, unschooled and ordinary. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus took them where they were, ordinary folk, and he slowly began making them into a new kind of people, ordinary people, just like me and you. And the difference was is they simply had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference. And that's what does it with us is just simply being with Jesus. It takes time and it takes being with him. It takes me where I am and he wants to make me more like himself. But I want you to know, simply being with Jesus transformed those 12 ordinary men into world changers who boldly proclaimed him. Isn't that good news for us ordinary people? He took those 12 ordinary men and transformed them into world changers who boldly proclaimed him. So a disciple is someone who personally knows Jesus, 
is, being trans, is, being, is following him, is being changed by him. And then the third one is, is on mission with him, is on mission with him. Those words, fishers of men, fishers of men. When I was a new believer, I knew nothing, very little about the Bible. My church used the King James. Actually, I think the language is similar. When I first read this in a Sunday school class, I was so confused. For a year, I was confused before I finally asked somebody. I thought fishers of men meant, I will make you fishers out of men. And I'm like, well, one, they were already men, and they were already fishers. How can you take fishers and make them fishers out of men? I was so confused about that. I finally asked my Sunday school teacher after like a year, and he goes, no, it wasn't he was making fishers out of men. He was going to make them start fishing for men. And I'm like, oh, right. Have you ever had a dumb moment like that? I mean, I had a dumb moment. I still do. I still, I'll read something this year in the New Testament. And I'm like, duh, I always thought this, and I learned something new. So, but he told his followers that if they would follow him, he'd make them fishers of men. They had fished for fish, now they're going to fish for people. And that's the mission, right? It's people. As we spend time with Jesus and as his spirit is in us, working in us, we will begin to love the things that he loves, to care about the things he cares about. And what he cares about primarily is people. And when we follow him and walk with him, we will start to see people more and more differently, right? We'll see people through the eyes of eternity. That everybody we know, everybody we're around, will know that everybody's going to one of two destinations, either heaven or hell. And that should, that should weigh on our hearts, and we should have a burden for that. And we should desire for people to, who don't know him, that we want them to live eternally with him. And we don't judge people outside of this body or outside of Jesus, who don't know him yet. We don't judge them or look down on them because they're people created by him in his image, who he died for. And rather, we love them and we meet their needs and we desire and seek and pray for them to come to know Jesus personally. We long to see people reconciled to him, to become his taladim, his disciples. We see ourselves as heralds, like Paul in 1 Timothy 2.7, where he says, we're heralds of good news, heralds who proclaim the good news. That yes, this world seems out of control, but there's a greater one who's in control of all of this. And this one came into this messy world, and he died for our sin. And if you're going into a right relationship with him, he'll begin to transform you and put his peace in you. And he'll put you in a new community. And he's at work, and one day he will be king, and he'll make all of this right. He'll make all of this right. We have good news to proclaim. I see myself as a herald. I see myself as an ambassador. Second Corinthians 5.20 is what Paul talks about. A person who's an ambassador to people around me. Jesus saved us for a purpose. He saved us for a purpose. Not just he didn't save us just from, but he saved us too. And that, that's what a lot of easy believism was, I think. Easy believism was, hey, Jesus just wants to save you from hell so you can just go to heaven for the rest of your life. And all it was was kind of an escape hatch. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. And I'll talk in a minute about it. It's a lot more than that. But he didn't just save us from, but he saved us to, not just from sin, but he saved us into mission with him, into a community of other people. In Luke 19.10, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that mission is now my mission. His purpose is now my purpose. So, Matthew 4.19, I think gives us a clear definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who personally knows Jesus, who is following him, who is being changed by him, 
and who is on mission with him. That's what a disciple is. That would be the definition from Matthew 4.19. And I want to tell you, again, this is different from what I saw when I was a teenager. Becoming a disciple, this is a serious commitment. It is a serious commitment. It's a commitment to Jesus. Commitment to not only to accept him, but to follow him. That's the call. That's the call. And I'm, I'm going to ask a question, and it's not meant to overwhelm or discourage you. Um, I'm the kind of person, trust me, I have a huge panel of inner critics that are constantly pointing out my faults and all of that. And I know what it's like to get on a, to a question, you latch on to it, and you can't let it go. So I'm not trying to create that. But I think it's an important to ask, which is this, am I truly a disciple? Am I truly a disciple? Not by the world's definition or what I think it is, but am I a person who truly has a personal relationship with Jesus and I'm following him, I'm being changed by him and I'm on mission with him? Am I truly a disciple? Am I really a follower or am I just a fan of Jesus? I like him and I like the stuff he says, but I'm not interested in knowing and following him. And that's actually going to be next week's topic. But I think it's a question worth asking. Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip, but I think it's worth asking the question. Because a lot of people think that the Western church has people sitting in it who really don't, who really aren't a disciple, who really don't personally know Jesus, who are not following him, being changed by him, and are living on mission with him. And this definition to me is also helpful because it becomes a touchstone for me to come back to, to evaluate where I am spiritually. That's the kind of thing we do at the beginning of the year, right? How am I doing? Am I on the right path? And three really great questions are, am I following him right now? Am I following him? Am I becoming more like him? Am I on mission with him? And this all really fits well. Actually, we talked about the disciples' rhythm, the pattern of Jesus' life, that he spent time in solitude with the Father, and then in community, and then on mission, right? The up the in and the out. That's really what this is all about. Christ, it's following Him. It's knowing Him. It's being changed by Him, right? That up. It's the in. It's the community. Because He said this invitation, though it was personal, but it was also to a community because He said it to two brothers, come and follow me, and the two brothers come and follow me. Frequently, He's out talking to hundreds or thousands. Come follow me is the invitation. So it's not just following Him individually, but it's following into a community, never alone. As these individuals responded, these 12 especially, He formed them into a community. And it's also a call to cause, to His mission, to be fishers of men. So let me, I want to make something um, really clear as I wrap up. Especially if there's somebody here, somebody online who doesn't know Jesus personally. I want to tell you, following Jesus is not about religion. It's not about practices. It's not about sacraments. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing stuff to earn his favor. That's not what it's about at all. I'm not saying those things are unimportant. That Part of following him is, is I show up here every week with my community. But it's not about religion. It's not about dogma. It's not about right belief. Right belief's important, Okay. But that's not, that's not the core of what it is. I do have to believe Jesus is the Messiah and my Savior. I understand that. But it's just not about belief. And that's, I think that's what the easy believism is. I just believe facts. Okay, Jesus died for my sin. 
and oh, and if I pray, if I say these words somebody gives me, I get a ticket to heaven, and it really doesn't matter what the rest of my life looks like, which is what the easy believism does. That it's not about that. It's not just about saying, I believe these facts, and I'll say a prayer, and there's nothing wrong with, again, saying a prayer. I invite people to do that. But if it just stops at that belief level, that fact level, it's not enough. I just had a conversation with somebody this week who's somebody they very love and are concerned with, trying to help them come to know Jesus because they don't have a relationship. And all this person could talk about is when I was 14 in a church, I said these, I believe these facts and said these words, but their whole life, they, they never, they don't care about God. They live the total opposite of the way God lives. They, they don't, it's so obvious as they're nearing the end of life, they don't give a rip about God, but they are convinced when they die, they've got the golden ticket to heaven. Because to them, it's just about saying the right words and having a belief. And Jesus is calling us to more than that. Jesus is calling us not to religion, not to dogma. He is calling us to a relationship. The invitation is to him. Come to me. Know me. It's not getting to heaven. That's not the goal, okay? That's what religion's about. If I can just get to heaven, it's not about that. It's about him. I want to know him. I want to, I want, I want to, I want to have a restored relationship with him. I want his forgiveness. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I won't do it perfectly, but it's about him. Does that make sense? And then when I die, I get to be with him forever. That's what it's about, okay? So it's about a relationship. So I just want to make that clear. A relationship as the savior to the saved, a relationship as the master to the follower. So a few questions. I like to ask myself questions. I want to know, how is your life lining up with Matthew 4.19, this definition of discipleship, as somebody who personally knows Jesus, is following him, is being changed by him, and is on mission with him? You know, you don't have to do this externally, but if you did a thumbs up, a thumb sideways, or a thumbs down, the first question is, do you know him personally as Savior and Lord? As Savior and Lord, because that's who he is. You know him personally that way. If you don't, I'd love to talk to you about how to have that. And then, for those of us who do know him personally, are you following him these days? Are you following him? Are you allowing yourself to be changed by him? Are you living on mission with him? So, can you help me with this? I think it's so important. Uh, I'm going to bring this up, but Matthew 4:19, Jesus says, "Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." So can you guys say this with me? Because I want to get it like in our heads. I think having the same playbook, is real, the same understanding of what something is is important. So uh, could you read this with me? A disciple is someone who personally knows Jesus and is following him, is being changed by him, is on mission with him. That's what a disciple is. And this is so important to me, this understanding that I think comes out of Matthew 4.19, that Lisa took this, took stuff in my head, put it on a postcard, and on the way out, we'd like to give you one of these, because I think we need to be on the same page with this. What is a disciple? If we're called, we are called to make disciples, what are we, what is God wanting us, what's the product look like? I mean, if somebody comes to Jesus, what's it going to be? What are we to be? So take this, use it as a bookmark, keep it in front of you. I'd like to invite you to uh, stand and pray. Pray a prayer, written by some dude from England, Richard, I don't even want to say his last name because I won't say it right, um, but I love the content of the prayer, so would you join me in praying this with your heart, and then we're going to end with, with worship. Lord Jesus, 
our merciful Redeemer, friend, and brother. May we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. We pray this in your name. Amen. So stay standing. I'd like us to end in a worship song that I think is a classic invitation of what Jesus is calling us to. So, Robert. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily I surrender all I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior I surrender all All to Jesus I surrender humbly at his feet I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus take me now I surrender I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, Lord. I give myself to Thee, fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessing fall on me, I surrender everybody at 12th Avenue who knows him, if we would be people who don't, not just personally know him and have a relationship, but if we would people who are following, following him, yes, stumbling, but following him, who are being changed by him, fixer-upper, but being changed by him, and who are on mission with him. Can you imagine the impact we would have on this community 
Can you imagine the impact we would have in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods? So 12th, let us, this year as we go through the New Testament, we want to meet Jesus and his word because we want to better follow him. So let us be that kind of people. So Father, make us that kind of people. Make us people who know you. If anybody here doesn't know you personally, I pray that you would be at work in their life and they would come to know you. That if they do, that that we would be following you with all of our hearts. Yes, stumbling, but following you with all of our hearts, stumbling in the right direction. We'd be changed by you, transformed, become more like you, and that we would be living on mission with you. As hard as that is sometimes, but we would still be living on mission. So make us that kind of people. And I pray in the name of Jesus, the one we follow, our Lord and our Savior, amen. So 12th, you're sent this week as Taladim out into Emporia to be people who represent him there. Have a good week.